0: and welcome to g220 radio my name is mike and this is probably going to be a disaster because i'm the ones running the whole thing and when i run it it's always a disaster and with me is not the disaster natty p is always ready and prepared for a podcast
1: that's yes. <laughs> because my job is to show up and i'm always here <laughs> there's nothing technical about that i guess but our calling card is technical difficulties so yeah
0: you don't i don't want to
1: mess with continuity
0: so i uh, watch a podcast on s- sometimes on disc golf and they also do some live stuff yeah and the guy who does kind of all the mixing um, he once says, "is uh his kind of his motto is a live stream will always have technical difficulties, yeah. so there's always something going on, and so, but we are here, and we're going to be doing um another episode in the second London Baptist Confession of Faith on Christian freedom and liberty. So we get to talk about. Some liberties, some freedoms that we that we get as Christians. Benefits, privileges. I mean, just think about that. There, we've been granted freedoms.
1: This should be an easy show for you, Mike. Because didn't you go to Liberty?
0: I did. You know where the spirit <laughs> of the Lord is? There is liberty. <laughs>
1: Oh, man. You yes. laugh.
0: That is the school's Bible verse.
1: <laughs> really? I mean, that it's true, that. and it's a, a good verse, rightly understood, but it's just funny.
0: <laughs> so, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is there is liberty. Um, <laughs> funny. I don't know. I mean, liberty's changed since I've been there, so who knows? I mean, they are No more Calvinistic, but, you know, it is what it is. So we are, um, like I said, jumping back into the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 21 on Christian liberty and the liberty of conscience. So we'll spend, hopefully, the next hour, and I say hopefully because we tend to go long, uh, discussing three paragraphs and as we noted, a technical difficulties. Um, I guess we could probably, I can probably get a scene to show it so those of you on YouTube can read along with us. But um, we'll go ahead and kind of dive into it. Now this is, correct me if I'm wrong, Nathaniel, this is chapter 20 in the Westminster
1: yeah, I forget which... Uh, let me see if I can figure this out. I don't know if we have... I think Chapter 20 is the Does, one that throws throws us off. I don't know if we have yeah. that one in, in the so Westminster.
0: Chapter 20 is not in the Westminster.
1: Um, it was a good chapter in the Baptist, though.
0: So, yeah, it was a good chapter.
1: And yeah, so... We also, uh, we also have um, <clears throat> the uh, fourth paragraph added in the the. Uh, there's only three paragraphs in in this one, and I believe the Savoy, and the Westminster has four paragraphs. Um, I think it has to do with um, something to do with re- reacting to ecclesiastical and civil totalitarianism or something like that. Or maybe this whole chapter was, was what that dealt with.
0: Yeah. So it was interesting to think through these, um, each of these confessions, cause there is a part in which they reflect their culture what they're dealing with
1: right
0: you know so we've talked about even on the baptist side how they're trying to show look we're within the historical tradition of the church and so you add that in so it is interesting and there's probably somebody who's done work we're not the first ones to notice it on why exactly they don't add um, or take out, I guess the fourth paragraph.
1: So uh, pertaining to like the civil magistrate and stuff. uh, Let me see if I pull it up here. So the missing legendary missing fourth paragraph is, I I don't know if you want to talk about it now or when we get to it, but, uh, says, and because the powers which God hath ordained and the liberty which Christ hath purchased are not intended by God to destroy, but mutually uphold and preserve one another, they who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, shall oppose any lawful power um, or the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil or ecclesiasticals, resist the ordinance of God. And so... Uh, It's talking, it basically has to do with those who would, uh, upon the pretense of Christian liberty, like rebel against ecclesiastical authority, rightly administered and also uh, lawful civil civil orders. And it uh, talks about being punished by church censures and the uh, civil magistrate for violations of each. So, okay. so I don't know up. if the Baptist, Baptist, uh, proclivities
0: yeah that makes sense because baptists tend to um should i say be lone rangers a little bit more yeah so that can make that makes sense with that so here is chapter one on our chapter 21 paragraph one it says the liberty which christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from guilt of sin and the combination wrath of god the rigor and course of the law and their being delivered from this present evil world bondage to sin dominion and dominion from sin from the evil of afflictions, the fear and sting of death, the victory of the grave, and the everlasting damnation, all, as also in their free access to God and yielding obedience unto him, and not from slavish fear, but a childlike love and a willing mind. I'm stop there on that aspect. So when we look at that and think kind of with it, what are some of the the big points that jump out um, for you when we look at this kind of first paragraph within paragraph one?
1: Well, the the big thing that really jumps out immediately, and it should because it's within the, the first clause, um, is the liberty which has which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel. So like a lot of times, uh, like Christian Liberty discussions, it's, uh, we talk about what am I free to do? What am I allowed to do now? Yeah. And X, Y, and Z, what can you not tell me not to do because I have Christian Liberty and it's really just, um, it's like a cheap freedom. Um, and really, what what the, the fundamental aspect of Christian liberty is? It's a liberty that's been granted to you, that's been fought and won by Jesus, and is purchased by the the infinitely precious blood of Jesus. Um, that's the first thing that jumps out at me.
0: Yeah, I think you see um, kind of two aspects when we look at what is saying. There's a freedom from. Our sin. Right. And the, the works that are required for us to be righteous before God. And then also the freedom from the curses that accompany our sin. I think it's as we kind of go through this, I think it's we shouldn't skip over it. I think this lays kind of the, f- the foundation for kind of understanding the ideas of can I get a tattoo? You know, how much should I give to the what? church? And some of these other questions. Can I eat meat sacrificed to idols? I think um having this understanding um of what we have been freed from and then also freed to right um with it because you have the liberty consist yeah so it's Liberty consist in their freedom that's kind of the sentence and it's the Liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel and we've already kind of worked our way through all those other chapters in um, kind of formating the different aspects of the gospel. In fact, the previous chapter talks about the gospel. It's added um, here in the Westminster, or sorry, in the London Baptist. And so coming off of the heel of that is so now let's, we have this purchase. Now look what Christ has freed us from. And the liberty we now have to, as it mentions, we have now freedom to access God, to yield obedience unto him, not out of a slavish fear, but a childlike love and a willing mind. And when we think about what that means, I think it trans- transfers the question, kind of what we see is. A lot of times you mention it. It's how far can we get to that line and not sin. Right. But it rephrases the question and goes, well, will this be glorifying to God? I right. think that's the important, the, the better question. It's not how far is my freedom, but will this glorify God in the end?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a really big deal because um, – I've heard it said that true freedom is, is not freedom to do what you want, but freedom to do what you ought. Or maybe we could even say freedom to want to do what you ought. Um, and, and, and that's like um, when you, you think about it before you're saved, before you're justified and adopted and sanctified, uh, you are a slave to sin. Like you, you don't have any freedom to not sin like a necessary consequence of you living is sinning. Um, and you really don't have any power to power over it. Um, cause you're a sinner. So you sin, however, in this Liberty setting free from even, uh, the dominion of sin, which is that ruling and reigning power of sin in, in the life of the unregenerate person. Um, and also the bondage to Satan, um, where it says you're held captive by him to do his will, you know? And so now you are free from those enslaving things. That's, um, it's like always a good question to ask. Um, you, you want to ask, what were you enslaved to? If you're free, what do, what are you free from? And it's just always good to think deeply. Um, and that's, that's what we're free from and then like you said uh freed to free to obedience to god which is um that's true freedom because you're designed for obedience for god and designed to glorify the, him so whenever you have christian liberty firstly you're liberated to fulfill your your d- design that's um so that's that that aspect of it and i mean that's really how all of the epistles of Paul are set up. Um, you have in the same way you have what are you freed from? You're freed from sin, God's wrath, and you're freed to the second half of every Pauline epistle is uh, the imperatives. Start with the indicative, what you've been freed from, and then what you've been commanded to be freed to and allowed, what you're now allowed to do. And it's, um goes from Fear of law-breaking to joy of law-keeping. Exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, and I think that's um, important. I'm always reminded in this time, and I know I've shared this, just Augustine's understanding of love. So he's trying to respond. This is in his letter um, called The Spirit and the Letter. And he's responding to Pelagius about... like. Freedom, true freedom and true love. What does true love look like? And he he gives an example using a a kid, a child and his mother, her mother and asks which one is true love. The one who the mother tells him to do something and he completely rebels. The um, the one where she tells him to do something, he does it, but does it begrudgingly or the one who, when the mother says to do something, does it happily and to look at it and that, and to see that in the frame, like, well, which one has kind of the, the true obedience and the freedom? well, the other two the first two are trapped in their sin. They're not enjoying their life. They're not doing what they're supposed to, and in the end, they're gonna receive some sort of consequence of it. But the the one who obeys his mother joyfully is the one who ultimately has true freedom and in one sense is the only one who does true obedience. And to understand, then the freedom we have is a freedom to enjoy God in complete and childlike love and obedience, and to then find our fulfillment in doing what is righteous, doing what is holy, and pursuing holiness because we know that's what god loves god who is holy loves people who are holy and since we are unholy people he has purchased us through christ under the gospel and so that we can now live in this holy obedience through the power of his spirit
1: right and i mean even just the the freedom for it to be joyful um where the you have that condemnation uh, of the law the curse of the law the severity and the curse of the law um is like uh the middle the middle child doing it begrudgingly um is doing it because the law is severe and if and if he doesn't obey mom when dad gets home it's going to be a bad a bad story for him and so that's He's, he's not enjoying himself and he's not really free because he has to make a choice to not get punished and hope that he does the entirety of the thing so that he, you know what I mean? And so he's not really, there's a, the way you mentioned it, the joyfulness of the third child is doing what he wants to do and doing what's pleasing to God. Whereas the middle child who's uh, outward obedience and inward Hostility is doing not what he wants to do, and and also not uh, he's not doing what he wants to do, so he's not free. Yeah, and even even the rap scallion, who uh, rebelled completely, um, he still has what we saw earlier the curse, the condemning wrath of the father when he gets home, and also the guilt of his guilty conscience as he uh, rebelled against his mom. Uh, knowing that he's going to be found out. So he's not free either, because even though he did what he wanted, he's not enjoying what he wanted. So the yeah. only one with even true true liberty is the one who wanted to please mom.
0: Yeah. I think and that's important to think about even in our Christian, you know. I mean, obviously, it's a greater to less, uh, less than a greater argument. This is how it is in a family. How much more is it when we consider the God, the just God of all the universe, who has so lavishly given us the grace um, to be saved. I think, and that's so. Then to think about Christian liberty is founded upon the gospel teaching. And so when we continue on, even to finish out this paragraph, it says all which were common also to believers under the law for the substance of them. But in the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged and their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church were subjected and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace and in fuller communication of the free spirit of God, than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. I think when we we think about, you know, what's there, how much more freedom we have compared to the Old Testament saints. Um, you know, we can say with the author of Hebrews, you know, boldly approach the throne of grace. Where you don't boldly approach the Holy of Holies. No. You're going to get struck down. And even the high priest who's allowed to go in once a time, if he goes in unholy and he has to go in twice in one day, he's not going to make it. And, you know, we shouldn't abuse... This kind of liberty to think about, you know, what God has given to us as New Testament believers.
1: Right. Yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't want to mis, misconstrue it. The, the The Old Testament church did indeed uh, have uh, freedom from the guilt of sin, uh, freedom from the condemning wrath of God um, to a degree, a lesser degree, the severity of the curse and all the all the other attendant things that are mentioned. Um, but the fullness of the access wasn't there. Like you're saying that this, that so, so Jesus says in John four, uh, there will come a time when you neither worship on this mountain or that mountain, but in spirit and in truth. And so you, you are free in a different way, in a fuller way, because you don't have to go to Jerusalem, uh, for young Kippur. You don't have to go to Jerusalem for the booths. You don't have to take an animal in order to commune rightly with God, you now, in a fuller way, can commune with him at any time because of the finished sacrifice. Um, so we have uh, a fuller communication with different um, standard operating procedures. And um, that, that yoke that was enacted to teach the Old Testament saints of the coming Messiah and remind them of the one to come, as he has now come. And so we, yeah, we have the, that fuller access and big bigger freedom.
0: Yeah, and we've already talked about the um, the law. It was in a previous um, chapter, so go back and listen to it because it it you know right. plays yeah. into how we think about it. And I think you know you're right. We should this second paragraph doesn't neglect neglect, the first one for the Old Testament saints, right. just acknowledge that they had specific rules they needed to do in order to be clean and to be able to approach God. And that all of those are symbols to what God was going to do with Christ on the cross. But it doesn't ne- neglect the fact that they couldn't. Like even Abraham just right. couldn't come to God.
1: Right.
0: Um, there is something different. We have the prophecies. Micah um two. You see it in Acts two, where now the the spirit is being poured out on believers. This is not something that was given in the old testament it was given mostly to prophets and kings when we consider it um and look at the text and it could be given and taken away king saul had the spirit of god upon him and it was removed for him given upon um, david who would later become king and so when we um think about just that, that God has given us freedoms that past believers didn't have, the Old Testament saints didn't have. And you see this even in Paul's writing when he talks about the Gentiles being grafted into the tree, into the um, the promises of Israel. And you have it, but there's a warning there that as much as you've been grafted Grafted in, God can take you out. And to to then think about not only our Jewish brethren who, at this time, it's a weird transition, um, with it, and still trying to, in a sense, maintain their cleanliness according to the standards of their families and I think um, you see that and even in Peter's own um, life especially with eating with Gentiles you see the rebuke that Paul gives him talks about in Galatians we see him going into Gentiles' homes kind of starting in, in Acts All of those were not allowed. And now they have the freedom, apart from the law, to go into Gentiles' homes. Right. To see the Spirit descend on the Gentiles and have them be transformed into fellow children of God. Right. So, chapter or paragraph two here in chapter 21. Um let's see. Here it is, um, says, God alone is Lord of the conscience, and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to His word, or not contained in it. So that to believe such doctrines or to obey such commands out of conscience, is to betray Mm -hmm. true liberty and conscience and required of an implicit faith and absolute and blind obedience. It is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. So what are kind of the main theme, the main thing you pulled out of paragraph two here? So this
1: paragraph really begins with... um... God, God is the one who is supposed to, um, determine how our conscience feel. You know, we're, we're all given as image bearers of God, a conscience, uh, which is the moral law written on our, on our conscience, you know, um, and this moral law on our conscience is touched by those same effects of the fall as every other member, uh, we possess. Um, and so at various times, obviously there are, those who would come in and bind your conscience uh, the, with various things that are contrary to the to the to the word, and so that's what it says. God is the Lord of the conscience, and so your conscience needs to be um, calibrated by what God says. That being uh, the things that are in His Word, um, it required or, or prohibited in His Word, uh, rather than things that uh, people would foist on you uh, that are contrary to the word or not even, uh, touched on in it. Um, and then I I think it really concludes by saying that if you allow your conscience to be bound in this way, um, so you got to wear a tie to church. It's the, that's, uh, in, in, um, that's maybe that's not even a rule at your church, but you say my conscience will not allow me to not wear a tie at church. Well, you're really not using liberty of conscience because there's nowhere in the Bible that says, at least that says you need to wear a tie to church. Now there may or be other
0: Sunday best.
1: Yeah, yeah. There there may be wisdom principles that you don't want to come uh, stinking, but um, whenever you bind yourself on with with these things, you're not, you know, choosing. To exercise your conscience, li- your liberty. You're not exercising your Christian liberty by saying, "Why well, he got to wear a tie to church. What you're really saying, uh, what you're really doing is um, you- you're-, you're betraying it. You- you're putting yourself under a yoke of bondage, which God has not commanded and didn't even enter his mind.
0: Yeah, I think to think through it is – Either you have commands and wisdom from God that come out um, as either explicit or through reason. Right. And to add upon that is to add laws that God has not commanded. And, you know, you think about... I mean, let's, I'll use Mormonism for an example, um, but you see this in other and even Baptist churches. Um, when you visit the temp- Mormon temple, you have to wear a suit. You will not be allowed to just walk in to the temple without a suit on. As you mentioned, where does it say... You have to wear a suit to go to the house of the Lord or wear your Sunday best, however you want to define that. Now, is there good reasons to maybe dress nicer for church? Is, is it possibly just a cultural thing that we do that that is a separate clothes? It's not what we work in for the most part. Um, especially in skilled labor jobs. Like, is there something about it? And that's there. But that is not a commandment to dress a certain way for um, church. And so when we Think about kind of what this means is that we need to follow Christ we need to follow what the Bible has said to us and when we don't we're adding a yoke and we're in a sense as it mentions destroying our liberty we're not free anymore we are in a sense reversing what god has already done he has removed our guilt but now we're adding these rules that we must have the old testament saints had a yoke of the ceremonial laws we are now adding a new yoke on ourselves in that way. And I think that's when we think about think about it in that way. And that when we hold to doctrines not rooted in scripture, when we hold to commands not come out with good and necessary reasons or is explicitly said, we in a sense You know, put that yoke on. And how many times? I mean, you've seen it on the street. I've experienced it on the street. You're talking to someone. And it's. You kind of that. Let's say it work righteousness that comes from it. Right. You hear, oh, I did all those things. Yeah. You know, those as if there's a one sense a lot of times what they're saying are good in things and we should be doing them, but they've added this yoke upon themselves in which the gospel has released us from. Right. And, or we talk about how dangerous false doctrines are. Right. and, how they play out. That destroys our liberty of conscience. And then, so when we think about it, and then, you know, just kind of the biggest example in church history, we celebrate it, those who are us in the Reformed tradition, every you know, October 31st, it comes up and the Diet of Worms. It is one of the final days of This council, uh, two days prior, a monk named Martin Luther is there. He has to take time to think about recanting what he has wrote. And he stands up and goes, I can't. I'm not going to recant because it would go against my conscience. And he was fighting against the false doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church and we see in that example just how I mean the, the Catholic Church is filled with immoralities and using manipulating the people for their ends Right. I think, and to, to just kind of see the yoke put upon them, and that's that's what happens when we believe doctrines and commandments of men.
1: Right. And that's it. Always starts off with um, the the like like the Pharisees would um were so zealous, I mean, the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, the people Jesus was uh, running in with, uh we we are very zealous about law keeping you know and so in order to protect the law they a- added other laws and it came down through their their um really i don't know if it's the talmud uh mishnah the mishnah i
0: don't know. it's either talmud or mishnah i get it mixed up but
1: yeah all all their various extraneous uh commentaries on the bible they had added fences and so rather than being a fence to keep me away from breaking the law it turns into a uh, a law into itself and, and you're binding these things on, um, for justification purposes basically where you, where you, you did just you, you distort these as a way of attaining God's favor th- through, through these various law-keeping practices, whether it's, uh, salv- salvific favor or, or even just favor to get, uh, what you want out of God, and adding on these commandments that, uh, that aren't required like god doesn't command it and if god doesn't command it you don't have to do it and if you're whether it's a good thing to do or not if you start treating it as though it is required uh for salvation justification or any other sort of blessing from uh from god then it then that's when it becomes sinister when good things become sinister it's nice to dress nice. It's, it lets you know people that are, um, lets people know that you're serious. You take yourself seriously as a man. It lets people know that you care about them uh, because you want to, you know, dress nice for them and uh, lets them know that you take God seriously because you're dressing up to come to the house of the Lord. Um, but uh, for this to be um, something that you do because God's not going to bless you or, I'm not going to feel justified or any number of things, um, or you have to do it, or you're not a real, truly reformed Christian. It's like it's when you go wrong. It's nice to dress nice, but it ain't that nice, you know. It's, and, and do that with any number of things that have the appearance of godliness, but really have no uh, power to restrain the indulgences of the flesh. I mean, do that with any number of things. Don't have to be dressing nice. It's a simple example. There's popish commandments and all kinds of other stuff you get thrown into that same category that are not commanded by god and people turn into uh tie them so closely to god's favor and um it's it's, you're freer than that
0: yeah i think it leads into kind of what you're talking about here in um paragraph three right you know there at the bottom on the screen it says they who upon the pretense of Christian liberty do practice any sin or cherish any sinful lust as they do thereby prevent the main design of grace of the gospel to their own destruction so they are wholly destroyed to the end of Christian liberty which is that being delivered out of the hands of all of our enemies we might serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness before him and all the days of our lives. And to think about I mean we mentioned it earlier, we can kind of think about Christian liberties two two ways. How far can I get without sinning? Right. Or how can how does my actions glorify God? Right. I think you see here uh where that first question is Wrongly understood. Right. Because in a sense of when we ask the question, how far can I go without sinning? We're trying to use the Christian life and Christian liberty as a way to kind of furnish maybe leftover feelings of sin Mm. and to like – I know this is wrong, but is this wrong? And to still, I mean, there's a sense in which there's that allurement of sin that um, they want. But in the same thing, this uh, paragraph clearly um, says, as Paul does, that We just can't go on sinning and let sin abound because grace abounds. Right. That to use the pretense of Christian liberty to practice sin brings us our own destruction because we still we're still doing the thing that Christ has saved us from. Right. And and which we know God hates, and so you know even you know those who reject Calvinism and says that Calvinism allows people to practice sinning and and kind of more attached to the idea of once save always saved mentality. Though here at GG Twenty we reject that terminology um, for the better present. Pers- perseverance of the saints but when you get in that mentality of once save always save logically it makes sense well i can do whatever i want i'm already saved and i think that's where the warning passage is, warning passages in hebrew helps hebrews helps us out to consider right. um are you the one who kind of forsakes what God has done. And I think that's to, to understand it, which makes the importance of how can I serve God? What can I do to serve the Lord without fear and to, and in holiness and righteousness before him instead of, well, can I get away with this sin or because I've been saved And Christ has paid for my sins therefore I can do whatever I want
1: right yeah and this is that uh, cheap grace that uh, Bonhoeffer talks about or uh, we talked about at the very beginning of the show that costly Liberty which Christ has purchased for us in the gospel um, it's acting like uh, shifting the focus on us where where we are the, um, chief end of the gospel rather than God's glory and, um, treating it cheaply, like it, it didn't cost anybody anything. And so it's free. Uh, so, uh, it's the work of Christ on the cross is something to be trampled on and contemned. uh, is what's happening here. Uh, I've taken the focus off of God and his glory. How may I please him? And turned it on myself. Of what what's the what's the maximum that I can get away with to please myself? Is really a, a, a warped focus. Is taking the focus off God and placing it on man. Um, and this uh, this is a reaction uh, to so so basically what what uh, we have in, in in paragraph two is a, is a, is a reaction against uh, the ecclesiastical totalitarianism of the day that being the uh the papacy uh rebelling uh or i shouldn't say rebelling but setting straight uh the abuses of the ecclesiastical totalitarianism uh whether whether we're talking about the catholics back then or your independent fundamentalist uh or truly reformed today um that's setting straight in paragraph two and then this one we're setting straight those who seeing the abuses of paragraph two would run so far in the other direction uh into licentiousness and this is having to pull them back and be like no that's you're 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 falling into the same ditch of destroying your liberty because as you've said you've already been set free from this so really two and three both men and two and three are both falling into the they're not two ditches on the opposite sides of the road they're the same ditch one destroys christian liberty by tying stuff onto himself that he doesn't have to do because he's been set free from and then the one in in three uh, ties back on his sins that he's already set free from. So paragraph two and three are two men in the same ditch who both fell there uh, through different uh, stumbling blocks.
0: Yeah. Or you could say there are two ends of the paradigm, the the pendulum swing to extremes. First is kind of a legalism, and the second is antinomianism. When oh, when you right. really get down into it, you know, it's it's living uh, without the law or disregard to the law. So anti, anti, and then nominism is law in Greek. So without the law or against the law. And so, yeah, you kind of hit it either. So you have legalism on one side, kind of, um, which destroys your liberty of conscience. The other side does too because you're not living out the freedom which God has given to you in a way that's honoring to him like a judge pardoning someone for doing something wrong and the guy turns around and does the same thing again and gets caught yeah. um kind of this disregard um and the antinomianism and I think that's you know, to think about it, that yes, as Christians, we're not under the law. We already saw that. But that doesn't mean we don't obey the law. And that the law is good. It is a delight. And those who are blessed are those who meditate on the law. And so you don't want to add more laws than what God has given. So you, you know, the one rejection, but then you just don't want to get rid of the laws because that's how God has told us to honor him and to worship him. And that's why we go through the Proverbs and we see the wisdom that God has given to us built upon the moral understandings and the moral laws that he has given everyone in their conscience to obey them. And you know, you look at it. Um, It perverts the main design of the grace of the gospel when we disregard um, that we continue to sin in what we've been saved from because we have been uh, delivered out of it and that we're made to serve God and you know this has been you know something that is a constant fight um in everyone like even not just on the grand scheme of the church um altogether but even in our own lives mm-hmm. there's probably times that we run the whole gamut between this where we are legalistic in this side but we're antinomian on this and then there's sums that hopefully as we learn the pendulum swing isn't as chaotic um, in it but I think when we think about this chapter and when we apply it to our own lives when we start thinking about well can I get a tattoo is it a sin to get a t- t- tattoo well We see in, I think it's Leviticus, I don't remember the thing, about not tattooing yourself. But when we understand the verse, it seems to have some religious aspect that the pagans would do in order to please their gods. We see that the Mount Carmel, before (laughs) the fire from heaven comes down and devours the sacrifice Elijah built up, they're sitting there cutting themselves. And to understand that. So does that mean a Christian shouldn't get a tattoo? At least it's not. There's freedom for them to do that. Now, there may be other questions. Right. That should be asked before you do it. Like, will it glorify God? Is it maybe the right use of my money? Mm. And some other questions that will help you to decide. But I think when we start thinking about is there a command that explicitly says no? Okay. If if it says that it um so this would be a, a, a command a negative command it says that you can't do it <clears throat> we have to ask other questions that brings in wisdom. What would be the best? Now you have the positive commands like Love one another. Again, those are questions that you have to do and play a part with those other questions. And that's when the discussion of the younger and weaker brother come in. I may have the right to get a tattoo and I may even think it's okay and that I I really like this that tattoo and I want it. This is not real life. This is situational. But I may be in a church that kind of frowns upon it. They may even be kind of, maybe in the second paragraph, maybe a little legalistic about it. Well, that's where the this idea of the stronger, weaker brother comes in. And to understand that while I may have the freedom to get a tattoo, it may be best for me to give up my freedom in order to serve the others and to help them and to teach them and to um, be part of it. We can think about this probably with alcohol or kind of any other of these sins that traditionally conservative Christians have said not to do like the Baptist dancing. Is it okay to dance? I mean, David danced before the Lord. So these types of questions, what this helps us is to understand, okay, there are commandments. We need to look at the commandments. We're not to just disregard commandments, but we need to make sure we're being wise with what we're doing so that we can Serve the Lord with fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our lives. Right. Well said. So, and I think that's important, you know.
1: So, there it is. What, we, what, just one final question. What do we do? with the weaker brother is there our is goal to just let them do according to their conscience maybe they're uh maybe they're in paragraph two and three are we just to uh, let them continue to be the weaker brother what do we do whenever we're working with a weaker brother
0: so i think i'm trying to remember the passages i think part of it is there's a sense in which We are called to, while we give up our freedom, we're also called to help them to see their freedom. And I think there's ways to do that. There's praying for them, that God would teach them, open their eyes, uh, maybe even use uh, conversations um, to consider that. And I get it, but I'm not to like lord this freedom over them either. And I think, and that's the balance. I had a conversation um, with an acquaintance. I worked with his wife, but he would show up and we would talk and he was kind of upset that at Southern Seminary, you're not allowed to drink alcohol while you're a student. That includes in between the terms. And so, Southern Baptists, it makes sense, kind of a lot of teetotalers, um, good and bad, in that sense, and, and with it. So, that's a rule that's in the covenant that you sign every semester. And he was frustrated with it. Um, he's, at least at the time we we're talking about, he kind of turned. But he challenged it because my wife and I have made the commitment that we would not be ones who drink alcohol, whether knowing that we have the freedom. So just putting it out there, we know we have the freedom. We made the choice to not do it when we don't hold that to anyone else. And there's we have our reasons for it. Um, but at the time... By obligation, I have to. I'm a student at Southern Seminary. I've signed the contract. I have kind of this institution, whether right or wrong, that's the rule. And he plainly asked me, he goes, so you wouldn't drink alcohol even in your home anywhere, like without them? I was like, yeah. Because if I had if I wanted to, because I don't want them to stumble. That's the idea Paul gives us. So we don't lord our freedom over them lest they stumble. But we're also called to build them up. We're called to spur them on to good to love and good works. And to teach them and in hope that while they may choose not to do what you do, they don't stumble upon it they see the freedom with it i think that's how we work through this it's understanding i know i have the freedom i have the freedom to do it and i also have the freedom to give it up and there may be times that i use my freedom to give something up in order to encourage and admonish a brother so that they can see the greater freedom they have and to love them in a way that builds them in that way. Again, it's not looking after me. And you, Paul, talks about this when you use in First Corinthians ten about um the sacrificing eating sacrifice meat. We know it's nothing, but some people still have conscious issues, and even today. Some people still may have conscious issues about eating meat that are sacrificed to idols. And there's part of it which you shouldn't go out to try to have your conscience kind of hurt with it. Um, I think you have that there. But then there's also, Paul says, I know it's just that meat, but for sick others, I don't do it, I don't eat meat sacrifice for idols. And I think that's how you do it. And that shows out in the expression of love towards your neighbor and how that, um, works out, you know? So if someone boycotts Starbucks for liberal things, I'm not going to take him to Starbucks, you know, if they'll do it. Now I have other reasons why not to take them to Starbucks too, but that way, um, and we do have to watch, you know, I'm just getting kind of off topics um, with that, but, you know, just understanding our brothers and what we can and can't do, um, you know, with them, I think. And that's just shows up. So, you know, having a, a good understanding of our freedom allows us to kind of, as Paul says, be to all people that we can do things in a way and navigate in the world that's honoring to God and yet still be able to have it. So yeah, that's kind of my, how I developed a thought and to think through dealing with those issues. Um, Cause I do have people in my life that are maybe more strict on what, should and should not be done by a Christian and I don't hold the same views and you know how would I navigate that well I don't want to offend people unnecessarily we kind of talk it now you know are there's still the chance to be offended and that's when you just pray that God would show them their error or to show that you're wrong I think there's also the other side um you know, as we work together the find truth. And never assume you're always the stronger man. Mm. Don't do that. Be willing to to search the scriptures and see. So Good stuff. you got any funny words? I don't know. That was just to be
1: free. That's my final word, I guess. Yeah. For freedom's sake, Christ set us free. Christ
0: Set us free. So this has been episode number four sixty-two. Talk about Christian freedom from the second London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 20, because all of us are Baptists at heart.
1: <laughs> Comprehensive Baptists.
0: <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we thank you for joining us for this episode. Join us. Next week, we'll have an episode before Christmas. Be exciting. We only have two episodes left of the 2020 season.
1: (laughs) It's
0: been a wild 50 weeks. And so. But yeah. So join us next week, 9 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. If you want to catch the live recording, you can always catch audio versions on Podbean. Um. So you can go over there. If you have a suggestion for a show you want us to do, go ahead and send us an email at gmail at g220radio at gmail.com. You can send it to us on Facebook too. And if you want more content like this, do what everyone else told you to do. Like and subscribe. woo hoo <laughs> Get all fancy now. So for Ricky who um, – was not able to be with us today. Nathaniel, who's co-hosting with me. I'm Mike. Thank you for listening to Juge 20 Radio. We'll catch you next time. God bless.